Hello, everyone. My name is Jesse. I'm part of the team here at Oasis. Why don't we just pray very briefly before we look at the scriptures? Heavenly Father, we would like to ask that the Holy Spirit will be at work in us through the Bible this morning. Please encourage those who need to be encouraged. Please challenge those who need to be challenged. Please make the scriptures clear to us. Amen. I'd like to start by noting something a bit scary. Jesus says more than once in the book of Matthew that there will be people who think that they are close to God who, would dis- who will discover in the final judgment that they are strangers to God and that God wants nothing to do with them. You can be a person who is outrageously generous, who fasts twice a week, who never misses a Sunday service, who makes several Facebook posts every day about Christianity, who has read the Bible from cover to cover, 27 times even, and still be a stranger to God. In our passage this morning, Jesus has a very serious warning for his followers. And if you're his follower here this morning, if you call yourself a Christian, Jesus' warning is for you. If you're not a Christian and you're visiting us this morning, this passage ought to be so helpful to you because it will help you to be able to understand what true Christianity actually looks like. It will help you to tell the difference between the Christianity of Jesus and the Christianity which sometimes, maybe even often, exists in Australia today. And not just Australia, but across the globe and throughout history. There is a reason that Jesus is giving us a warning here, and that is because what he's warning us about is such an easy mistake to make. It's a mistake which people make every day. And they have been making it in the time of Jesus and in all the intervening years up until today. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, this passage might frighten you. You might think that you're living like a true Christian and find out through this passage that you are, in fact, not. But the alternative is also true. You might think that you're not a very great Christian, that people don't know you as a very spiritual person, but discover that God is deeply pleased with you. Jesus' words here are only scary if you struggle with hypocrisy. If you do not, then Jesus' words ought to be exciting to you. Just to remind you, we're in the middle of this sermon series called Following Jesus in a Fallen World. And we've been focusing on the most famous sermon ever preached, preached by Jesus. Two weeks ago, we looked at having integrity and authenticity before other people. 
And now, in the passage that we're looking at this morning, Jesus switches his focus from the horizontal level to the vertical level. Jesus turns his mind to what it looks like to have an authentic relationship with God. And he actually says that we can be doing the right actions, but that if our motivations are wrong, if our actions are not authentic, if they're lacking in integrity, they can be totally worthless in God's sight. This is so important that he gives us a warning in the first verse, chapter 6, verse 1, and then he spends the whole rest of this passage explaining it with three different examples. That's why we're looking at such a big passage this morning. In Jesus' day, the three key practices which a follower of God would be doing were generosity, prayer, and fasting. And so by covering all three of these examples, Jesus is implicitly saying that anything which we do which looks religious or spiritual is at risk of being corrupted by wrong motives. In our passage, Jesus is going to show us what corrupted religiosity looks like, as well as showing us what authentic discipleship looks like. Here's what he says in chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus says, this is a big statement which, which, which covers everything in this whole passage. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now we've been doing this sermon series And a couple weeks ago, we looked at Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. And if you remember that verse, you might be a little bit confused right now. But if you don't have a perfect memory like me, I don't, let let me just read it for you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. He said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. On the surface level, it almost looks like Jesus might be contradicting himself. But when we look really closely, we can see that Jesus is addressing different things. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus is telling us that our lives should be so characterized by good works that the people around us, they can't help but notice. They can't help but give honor and respect to our glorious God. But in our passage that we're looking at this morning, chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus is warning us against the sin of hypocrisy. He isn't forbidding us from doing good works. He didn't tell us, do good works, and then 20 verses later say, don't do good works. He isn't forbidding us from doing good works. He's warning us against doing them for the purpose of being seen by others so that we can puff ourselves up with pride. So Jesus gives us these three examples. The first example he gives us, he contrasts authentic generosity with hypocritical generosity. Here's what Jesus says, chapter 6, verse 2. He says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues on the streets, to be honored by others. 
Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, a couple of really valuable things should just be jumping out at us as we think about this first example. Firstly, he says, do not be like the hypocrites. Sadly, one of the top words which Australians associate with Christianity, one of the top 10 words is hypocrisy, which just shows us how relevant Jesus' warning is to us. Jesus says, do not be like the hypocrites. Your faith is not supposed to be a faith which only exists in front of other people and then disappears when you don't think that you're being observed. God is inviting us to an authentic transformation of our hearts. And if your heart is transformed, then you won't be a hypocrite when you practice righteousness because your heart and your actions will be in alignment. You'll be integrated and whole. Jesus says about hypocritical givers, he says, Truly, they have received their reward in full. What does Jesus mean by that? Well, Jesus is saying that many people, these hypocrites that he's talking, talking about, they aren't being generous because of God, because of some kind of love or relationship or connection that they might have with him. They aren't even being generous for the sake of the person in need. Instead, these people are being generous because they want everyone to see them and to give them respect and honor and praise. They want everyone to think really highly of them. That's why Jesus goes even further. and He says not to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when you're being generous. He says you shouldn't even be keeping track of your generosity so that you can pat yourself on the back. Jesus is saying that when you're being generous, you ought to be generous like he was generous. God is generous because generosity is a core part of his identity. The, the, The ultimate expression of this, of course, is Jesus giving up his life for us while we were still his enemies so that we can have peace and a relationship with God. Jesus is saying that his followers, that we need to be reflecting the generous character of God in our own lives. And because God's generosity, it isn't hypocritical, because it is authentic and genuine and wonderful and self-sacrificial, that our generosity must be the same. We were created, humans were created at the dawn of time to reflect God's glorious character And God is telling us not to settle for a fake, superficial, self-serving, self-exalting generosity, but to pursue the same kind of divine and selfless generosity which he shows us. And truly, the scary thing that Jesus says about people who pursue that kind of generosity is that they have received their reward in full. If they're looking For the praise of men, that is the only reward that they will receive. And that's a terrifying statement 
but Jesus also ties it together with this wonderful statement. He says, be generous in secret. He says, do not be afraid that no one will see you because God does see you. He says, God sees what is done in secret. And not only does God see you, but Jesus promises in verse four that you will be rewarded for secret generosity. Jesus is freeing us to pursue authentic generosity. Generosity which is motivated by a love for others and a love for God instead of merely a love for ourselves. Jesus' example about fasting is so similar to his example about generosity. So we're, we're just going to jump forwards in the passage and we're going to look at verse 16 next. We're going to look at how Jesus contrasts authentic fasting with hypocritical fasting. Jesus says, starting in verse 16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. In order to understand this example, we need to know what fasting is, what Jesus is talking about here. And fasting basically meant to go without food for a time so that a person could, at least in theory, focus on God more fully. And Jesus is highlighting here that it is possible to fast in a hypocritical way, where you're pretending to do it to enable you to focus on God. But really, your true desire is for the people around you to notice and give you praise and honor for being such a spiritual person that you fast. Wow. This would be like if I only ever gave compliments to my wife, my gorgeous wife, on Facebook. There's nothing wrong with giving compliments to my wife on Facebook, but if that's the only time and the only place that I give her compliments, she would probably figure out before long that I wasn't complimenting her out of a love for her or appreciation for her, but just because I want to look good on Facebook. I want everyone to think that I'm a good husband. God can see into our hearts. He knows instantly what our motivations are, and he says that if our motivations are sad, if they're selfish, if they're earthly, that our reward will be in line with those small-minded motivations. We will have no reward from him. Fasting means to go without something for the sake of focusing on God. So broadly applicable, though. We can apply this to so many things. I mean... Jesus' examples are just that. They're examples, but he's meaning for, them, for us to be applying them to so many different areas in our life and our lives. 
Are you at church because you authentically love God and you want to worship him and spend time with his people? Or are you only here because you want everyone to think of you as a super Christian? Do you spend time reading the Bible and praying because you want to know God better? Or is it so that you can boast to your friends and your family that you're the kind of person who reads their Bible every day? Do you find yourself saying things to your friends like, I don't mean to boast, don't tell anyone, but I give away 20% of my income to charity, to Christian charities. Jesus is not saying, do not do all these good things. He's calling us to do them, to do good things, but for the right reasons. The alternative to hypocrisy, which Jesus is calling us to, is so much better. He's calling us to pursue authenticity by following his example. He's telling us that putting on a show, it might fool the people around us, but that it will not fool God who sees what is done in secret. And that might be scary, but it's also glorious because it means that God wants us to be integrated people, to be people whose inner lives match our outer lives. Just going to move back to the middle of the passage and we're going to look at how Jesus contrasts authentic prayer with hypocritical prayer now. And Jesus gives one more example. Jesus says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. There were people in Jesus' day, and there are people today, who pray by repeating the same words over and over. And they think that praying is like some kind of magic incantation, and that they can control God by saying the right words in the right order, the right amount of times. And Jesus is saying that God does not work like that. That God isn't some kind of genie that can be manipulated. Jesus is saying, no, God doesn't work like that. God does not want you to mock him by speaking at him instead of to him. God wants a relationship with you. The Father wants the same kind of family, close relationship with you that he has with Jesus. Jesus is saying when you pray, when you communicate with God, which is what praying is, you should be communicating in a genuine way. And then Jesus says in verse 8, that God is so interested in you, God cares about you so much that he already knows what you need 
before you even ask him. God isn't a distant God that you have to manipulate into remembering you through the right words. Jesus is saying that God loves you. God is interested in you. God wants to hear from you. That's why he says in verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father in heaven who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus is telling us that when we're communicating with God, we need to be doing that genuinely. We can't be putting on a show for the people around us. Then Jesus gives us this idea of what a conversation with the king of the universe might look like. And we don't have time to do it justice this morning. As a matter of fact, Oasis Church has already done a whole sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. And that we went through it line by line. And if you have a special interest in it, I encourage you to head to the church website and watch or listen to those sermons. I was encouraged by the sermons that I listened to in preparation for this morning. But we'll just notice one thing about this prayer. And we're going to notice how God tells us, how Jesus tells us to address God when we pray. He tells us to call him Father. And this would have blown away everyone, everyone around Jesus because they were used to addressing God when they prayed as the king of the universe. And Jesus tells them when they're praying to address their prayers to Father. And it's even more glorious than this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, we learn that we're invited to call God Abba, Father, because we've been adopted into the family of God. Abba is the deeply close family word for Father. In English, it would be something like Dad or Papa. And this, this is really unbelievable. We're being called to think of God as our dad. And not only that, but to address him as such. This is why Jesus tells us to reject the hypocrisy of a self-serving prayer. Because so much more is on offer It would be like eating the skin of an avocado and totally leaving the flesh of the avocado. It just doesn't make any sense. God is offering us something glorious. Jesus is saying we need to be drawing our identity from the fact that we are adopted into the family of the King of Kings, not from what the people around us think about us. We're in a position to communicate with the king of kings, with the king of the universe, as adopted children who are deeply loved. As people who can and even should be calling him dad. This is why it's so wrong to treat prayer as a way of increasing our social standing before others because it's so insanely disrespectful to the kind of relationship which God is inviting us into. 
And then at the end of his example prayer, Jesus has these two verses, which I think are some of the scariest verses in the whole of the New Testament. It gave me chills as I read them in preparation for this sermon. I listened to sermons on these verses. I I read articles and commentaries. And these scary and glorious words, which Jesus is a, a... These are scary and glorious words, which Jesus is about to say. And he means exactly what he says. Let's read them together. Verses 14. Jesus says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And these verses are relevant to what Jesus is talking about because Jesus is talking about hypocrisy. And it is so hypocritical to accept forgiveness from God for everything wrong that we have ever done, to accept this unearned gift from God bought at a tremendous price through the death of Jesus, God's son, and then try to pull the ladder up after ourselves and refuse to extend forgiveness to others. Now, it's important to say we always have to remember that we are not saved by forgiving others. So important to remember. We are saved by faith and not works, and that includes the good work of forgiving others. But James, the brother of Jesus, explains it something like this. He says that true faith is transformative. True faith will not be merely some kind of cerebral, theoretical thing, but that it will inform and transform how we live. Jesus is specifically saying here that true faith will result in people who forgive like they are forgiven. Michael Green was this amazing British Bible teacher, and he put it like this. He said, if we are to open our hands to receive God's gracious pardon, we cannot keep our fists tightly clenched against those who have wronged us. It's mutually exclusive. Either we humbly open our hands and receive and extend forgiveness, or we keep them tightly closed. If you're a follower of Jesus who's here this morning and you're holding on to unforgiveness, you should probably be struggling to sleep at night because this is serious. Jesus is saying that if you're truly his disciple, if you're truly transformed by the Holy Spirit, then you will be working, you'll be trying to be a person who is like Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross in terrible pain, so remarkable, he prayed for the people who were crucifying him. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. If you struggle with unforgiveness... I encourage you to take it seriously. Start reading books and articles about forgiveness. If it would be helpful, email Ben or 
Adam or Emma in the office, I know that they would love to walk alongside you as you strive to be like Jesus in this area. Jesus is saying, if you are truly my disciple, you will take forgiveness seriously. You will try to be forgiving like I am forgiving. And this is what it means to be adopted into the family of God, to have your life transformed by the Holy Spirit, to live in the way that humans were designed to live at the dawn of time. It means to be like God. And your God, our God, my God, is forgiving. When you disobey God, he is so willing to give you forgiveness. Even if your sin that you struggle with is unforgiveness. Even if you have been living a hypocritical life, God is willing to extend you forgiveness. That's why Jesus came to earth. Jesus came to save broken and sinful people. Jesus came to die so that we can live. In a second, we're going to remember and celebrate Jesus' sacrifice that enables us to be forgiven. But first, I invite you to pray with me. Father, we want to be authentic disciples. We want to experience the joy and the peace of living integrated lives. Please help us as we pursue that goal. Please reveal to us the areas where hypocrisy might reign in our lives. Father, I'd specifically like to pray for anyone here this morning who is holding on to unforgiveness. Father, I pray that you will empower those people as they seek to be like you. Help them to conquer that and to experience the freedom which you desire for them to experience. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness which you offer to us. Thank you that you are a forgiving God. You're willing to forgive us over and over when we sin. We glorify you. Amen.